Hey moms, welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson Podcast. I'm Dorenda Wilson, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to nine, and 26-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, The Four-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life, and Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart, a devotional written specifically for homeschool moms. If you enjoyed the unhurried homeschooler, you will also love the four-hour school day because it's kind of like an expanded version of the unhurried homeschooler. So if you haven't checked that out, be sure to do that. You can find all three of these books at Amazon. You can find them at DorendaWilson.com, and you can find the four-hour school day at any of your favorite booksellers in addition to the places that I mentioned. I'd also love for you to check out my favorite homeschooling magazine, homeschooling today. Listen in for a few more details about this fantastic resource. When it comes to homeschooling, isn't it discouraging to see so much on social media that simply doesn't match your reality? Life is messy. Kids can be exhausting. School doesn't always go as planned. Sometimes we all need some real encouragement, some real, truly practical help. That's one of the reasons I write for Homeschooling Today magazine. The entire team at Homeschooling Today wants you to know that messy, exhausting, imperfect homeschooling is an incredibly beautiful thing because it's real life as we take an unhurried, bold approach to homeschooling our kids. An approach that says, I won't compare my homeschool to others. I'll teach the kids God has given me in the way that he leads me to do it. I want to encourage you to check out Homeschooling Today magazine. It is an amazing resource for the unhurried homeschooling mom. Today, I invited Wes Johnson to be with us once again. Wesley is one of the elders at our church at the barn. He's a husband and a homeschooling father of four. He's joined me for several other episodes that I received a ton of positive feedback on. Um, And that included uh, one on applying Romans 13 to the here and now, which we did in the middle of COVID. That was fun. The importance of a biblical education. Uh, the biblical importance of family, and recognizing false teachers. And I'll include the links to these episodes in the show notes. But today, I decided to have Wes address the hot potato of biblical submission. Uh, When I told my husband that we were going to cover this topic, he said, tell the audience right up front, grab your oven oven mitts, because this is a hot (laughs) potato. (laughs) So this is a topic that I believe many pastors avoid because of the pushback that often comes as a result. Um, I think this has a lot to do with the church being incredibly informed by the culture rather than scripture. And I knew I could trust Wes to not only be willing to tackle this topic, but to do so from an uncompromisingly biblical perspective. I am ready to have my toes stepped on, in other words. (laughs) (laughs) So with uh, no further comment, Wes, uh, I'm going to let you dive into this topic. Perfect, perfect. Well, thanks for having me back. Uh, Great to be here especially on this topic. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, as you mentioned, um, this is a contentious topic in our time in particular. Um, Pastors do have a tendency to tiptoe around this particular issue. And the way that they tiptoe about it is not necessarily by not addressing it at all, but by addressing it in a way that I'd call it a a highbrow word salad with like three bacon bits at the bottom. (laughs) 
right? Uh, and so it's like today, church, we're going to be talking about headship and submission. And uh, then they're going to go to Greek word studies, make it seem all very complicated. They're going to go to all sorts of qualifications. They want to spend a lot of time on the exceptions. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure that they're very, very detailed in saying, this is not what I mean by biblical submission. I don't mean submission to abuse. I don't mean submission to, you know, uh, exploitation. I don't mean turning your brain off. I don't mean making no intellectual contributions to your household. I don't mean any of those things. And then by the end of the message, if anybody's paying attention, they'll realize you didn't tell me what it is, though. Mm-hmm. You were so mm-hmm. careful and cautious and, let's be honest, afraid mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to actually straightforwardly address the topic right. that you gave me 35 minutes of qualification and dealing with exceptions, and you never gave me, but how about just run-of-the-mill biblical submission in a normal circumstance? Right. Could you just tell me right. what that is? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because those other things you mentioned they're real. I mean, Absolutely. there's there is definitely uh, there's been abuse based mm-hmm. on supposedly implementing that principle Absolutely. of submission. I've seen it in in uh, in different families' lives, and and it's horrible. Yep. Um, but exactly, I, it, it's kept us from actually diving into what it actually is under normal circumstances. Correct. So, yeah. Correct. Exactly. So um, I say that just so obviously there could be uh, objections to what will be said today. Mm-hmm. There could be, well, what abouts to what could be said today? Uh, but ultimately, it's like, yeah, that's those are all separate conversations, mm-hmm. though. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about regular marriages, regular households. We're not talking about the exceptional instances right. of, you know, Don't whatever. you think, though, it's tempting for some of us to think that there's some sort of exception when there actually isn't an exception. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Because you know, well, there can. I've heard so many different statements by women, and I've I've looked at that and thought, I, I don't I don't know that that qualifies as an exception. Sure. So I think sure. I think I guess what I'm saying is I want to caution women who are listening to listen with an open heart and an open mind and right. asking the Lord to truly let you hear the truth mm-hmm. of His Word because. It is corrective. Um, right. You know, for instance, I had a friend say to me, um, she, when when someone had been describing submission to her early on in her marriage, she thought it was really, uh, it's something that really stuck with her. She said, we often look at it as though it's a division of labor, like our biblical roles mm. are a division of labor. Um, but it's really about, so much of it is about the heart attitude. And and the yeah. reason that she she said that, she said, just just test it this way. Test it by say if you're by this. If your husband came home and asked you to change something that's just part of your routine, what would be your immediate response? Yeah. And as soon as she said that, I thought, ooh, I I would not have done well on that little test. <laughs> so the, the example she gave was like you grocery shop on Wednesdays and your husband comes home and says, I think we should grocery grocery shop on Saturdays as a family. <laughs> and and I just thought, you know, that is that really is a good test. Yeah, but it yeah. Is. Anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. But we can have really kind of skewed versions of, of right. what submission is. You're so right. Yeah, and because we don't want to do when we don't want to do something, mm-hmm. uh, we want somebody to address all of the nuances and exceptions because we want to see if we can't wiggle ourselves into one right. of those categories. Right. 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 Uh, and so, absolutely, absolutely, that is a, a danger. Right. So. 
no doubt. Um, so hopefully, one thing that uh, is a goal of mine for uh, this podcast is to demystify the topic of submission. Mm -hmm. Because I think that because of the way, like we talked about a second ago, because of the way that we will do large, highbrow word salads and, you know, well, in the Greek and, you know, making it all seem like it's this very technical and difficult topic, you know. Uh, One of the things that that has done is I think it has kind of mystified the whole Mm -hmm. thing where it's Mm -hmm. like, what is biblical submission and has made it truly a, a far more complicated and maybe even um, like foreboding yes, subject yes. than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so hopefully we can clear the ground some Great. and just say, hey, this this is actually a, a pretty a pretty simple thing. So uh, some introductory stuff though, just to get us into the conversation. Uh, I'll go to Genesis chapter 2, and I'll read 18 through 23, and we'll kind of get our bearings there and then move into some of the practical type stuff. So uh, Genesis 2, verses 18 through 23, this is going to give us the initial pattern of headship and submission. So uh, it says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would be, what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God closed, or excuse me, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, last verse, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so what we see in that narrative progression is that the woman was made for the man. She was made from the man. She's then brought to the man, and then she's named by the man. Uh, And all of these things are the way that the Bible communicates in narrative form, in story form, uh, a doctrinal point. In this case, that doctrinal point being man's authority in terms of the husband-wife mm-hmm. role. Um, we can also uh, see Adam's headship or authority uh, in that when God tells him the instructions for the garden, like, hey, there's this one tree, you can eat from all these, but then there's this one tree that you can't eat from. He told Adam that before Eve was created. He didn't give those instructions directly to Eve. He gave those instructions directly to Adam, and then Adam was the one who was supposed to relay that information, protect his household, Mm -hmm. lead his household, wash his wife with the water of God's word, and make sure that she knew how to do that. Here are the do's and don'ts. Here's how we're going to live in this garden. And that's why, of course, after that sin occurs, after that violation occurs, when God returns to the garden, whose name does he call? He calls Adam's name, despite the fact that Eve was the one who's talking to the serpent, eats the fruit, and then passes it to Adam. And God knows all this. Exactly. (laughs) Of course. Of course. So why is he calling for Adam? Right. Exactly. Mm. Because he's the one who was responsible. Mm. He was the one who had the authority in that relationship, right? Such that from the beginning, you can see that what the serpent wanted to do was reverse the gender roles. Right. Right. From the very beginning. It's like, yeah, that's not a problem anymore, is it? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. You look around, you're like, that serpent got some work done. He sure did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, And so those things just in the book of Genesis, that's the the narrative Mm -hmm. version of doctrines that get more clearly stated in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So now I'll rattle off a couple New Testament statements that say 
directly or doctrinally what Genesis already communicated narratively. So 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Um, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. He's back to Genesis there. Mm-hmm. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, she was deceived because she was not the one who received the direct instruction. Right. Adam received that, and he failed to properly lead his wife, wash her with the water of that word, such that she was able to be deceived in that moment, whereas Adam's rebellion was eyes wide open. Mm. And, and that's and that's a real difference mm. often between men and women, mm-hmm. is women may be more inclined in certain situations to deception, whereas men are more inclined to rebellion. That's why if you look at the prison population, who goes to prison more frequently right. for violent and rebellious, obvious acts of crime? Right. It's men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's men, mm-hmm. right? And so this is a difference that Scripture has known about and spoken to uh, for millennia. Now, that First Timothy 2 text may not initially sound like it's related to male uh, female authority or headship and submission in marriages because it's a it's about the church you right, know right. let a woman learn quietly all submissiveness uh, in the church don't permit a woman to exercise or teach authority over a man in the church um, that's the context there but ultimately the church congregation is made up of households that are led by husbands and fathers mm-hmm. which is why when you then have all those families come together as the larger church family, it also gets led by husbands and fathers. Right. So it is, in fact, still related. Um, last one, 1 Peter 3, uh, 1 through 2, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So virtually every place that the New Testament epistles uh, talk about this topic of households, um, they're going to talk about a wife being under the authority of her husband. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she's called also to comport herself in such a way that demonstrates that she understands and embraces that reality. Right, right. Right? I'm going to chime in here really quickly just because little experience with the 33-year marriage, you know, there have been times along the way. I understood going into our marriage that, you know, basically what our roles were. And we've kind of, we pretty much stuck with that over over the years, and it has been a blessing. And mm. so just, I just want to, for those of you who are listening or like doubting, like, ah, I don't know about this. <laughs> um, there, I just to tell a, a quick little story, um, there have been times that my husband has um, wanted to make a decision that I wasn't in agreement with. Um, he, he would discuss these things with me, you know, and and there are times we've not been in agreement about something. And, um, and it was at that point, once I'd said all I needed to say, my job from there, that point on was not to continue to try to bring him over to my side. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it was to pray for him and to understand that this actually was fully on his shoulders now because I had done my part as a wife in expressing to him my concerns. It was his decision what he did with that, and he would ultimately bear that responsibility before the Lord, not me. Correct. So I didn't need to get in there and try to fix anything. Mm -hmm. I needed to let God deal with him on that. Fortunately, he really hasn't made any of those kinds of decisions. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there's just... there. 
a lot of times he would come back to me and and change his mind or whatever, sure. but there was no more cajoling, no nagging, no. Th- yeah. There's a point at which I've said all I need to say and not be mad at him yeah. because he didn't see it my way or be concerned because there are times that, you know, the decision that's going to be made is going to affect the whole family. No doubt. And you as a wife are going to be feeling the ramifications of that and living with those. And how are you going to live with those? Are you going to live with them saying, I told you so? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to live with them quietly, continuing to give it back to the Lord and just let God do his work? Because I think sometimes we get in the way of what God is doing in our husband's lives by trying to rule the roost. Sure. And instead of allowing our husbands to deal directly with God. And yeah. so stepping out of the way in those situations and understanding that now that I'd done my part, I was responsible to step away and just let the chips fall where they may and pray over it. If I was worried about something, how it was going to affect our family, I just needed to pray about it. Because again, it was God and my husband dealing Mm -hmm. together with each other, and I wasn't part of it anymore, other than prayer. (laughs) So I just wanted to give that little bit of encouragement. Yeah, no, and that's that's really good. And I think there's something that needs to be said there to underscore the power of what you just said. Mm-hmm. You just said that it's Daryl, your husband, mm-hmm. who's going to stand before the Lord and give an account for your family, mm-hmm. for the condition of it, its health, uh, its flourishing or lack thereof, falls on his shoulders primarily. Mm-hmm. But what we've done in our society is we want, we're okay with saying that men are responsible. What we're not okay with in our society is saying that they have authority. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you can't divorce responsibility and authority. That's right. If God's going to hold a man responsible, then he's going to give him the requisite authority for it to be just that he's held responsible. Right. Right? Right. Uh, And so we're fine with saying, oh, well, you know, that's on him. But we're not fine with him actually exercising the authority that mm-hmm. should attend responsibility. Yeah. But how crazy a world is it where we would say, and this this can go into all sorts of territory, but um, this is what in some ways our justice system wants to do. Mm-hmm. It wants to say, you know, in uh, like divorce court situations, it wants to say, oh, yeah, he's 100 percent responsible. So, you know give her the house and, uh, you know, X um, percentage of his income and all of the control over everything to do with the kids. Right. So he's totally responsible financially, but zero, zero authority. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But put that in any other situation, right? Uh, There's a guy at our church who owns a tire shop. How frustrating would it be if he was responsible for that tire shop, the taxes, the angry customers, whatever. He's responsible for all of it, but he has no authority to fire a mechanic who keeps sending out bad cars. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the authority mm-hmm. to change anything. He doesn't have authority to tweak any of the systems or structures that right. could be losing him money, right. but he's on the hook for all of it. Right. You can't separate responsibility and authority. Mm-hmm. And so if you're comfortable with saying, oh yeah, God held, holds men responsible for their families, that's clear in scripture, but you're not comfortable when your husband actually exercises authority, you've created a logical conundrum that you would be able to see if that principle was applied to any other subject. Right, 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 exactly. And I can say that there is a load of stress that actually comes off my shoulders by yielding to the biblical standard Mm. for that. You know, I remember the first time I tried that out as, as as a married woman, and I was like, wow, 
There was so much peace with that. Sure. It was so much peace with it. And I think that a lot of women carry anxiety that isn't actually theirs to carry, as you've well said to me so many times, uh, stay in your lane. (laughs) (laughs) He said it way more um, diplomatically than that, uh, with lots of explanation around it. But that that line has gone through my head over and over and over again. In fact, my husband is actually repeating it to me in certain circumstances as well, and and not not between the two of us, but other things where I tend to take more responsibility than I should for things. And he's like, you you need to stay in your lane. you're right. I do. Like this, this is not your responsibility. This is your responsibility. So mm-hmm. you take care of that. God gives you the grace to do that. And don't worry about this over here. Right. So, right. Absolutely. So that's really, really good. So, um, we've, we've kind of seen the Bible explicitly says these things. And obviously you can squint, you can try to read it diagonally. You can try to do all sorts <laughs> Upside of- Upside down. Exactly. You know, whatever weird gymnastics you want to do with the language to try to make it seem like it says something other than what it obviously says. Right. And of course, you can find commentators and Bible teachers who will try to do that. Um, we would just rather say, okay, it says that. And it says it many, many times in many, many places. <laughs> Seems to me God was just clear right, about his right, design for right. this. So we won't wade into any of the arguments that would be against the classic interpretation of these things. Um, we'll just take those texts straight up. So we've read those. Um, but here's why this isn't a mystery in terms of the practical application. Right? Uh, it says that a wife is to submit to her husband because he has authority over her. Mm -hmm. That's what headship is. Headship Mm -hmm. is two things. It's authority and responsibility. And like we just talked about, those things have to go together. It is unjust to hold somebody responsible for something that they had no authority over. That's totally unjust. God is just. So he would not do that, Mm -hmm. right? So the headship is clear. The submission is clear. That's a hierarchy. Our, Our culture hates hierarchies. <laughs> we absolutely hate them, right? Um, we'll, we'll talk for us in, in a second about why we hate them so much and how that relates to the, to the household. But when you think about it that way, when you just take these texts straight up, uh, the hierarchical language just being what it is, it demystifies the entire question of submission. And here's how I'd get to that point. Um, it's because we all instinctively know how to be under authority. We all know it instinctively. We try to complicate it with our our questions and our word salad sermons and whatever, but we all know instinctively how to be under authority. Um, And so I'm fond of of letting people know that 46% of the American workforce is female. Mm. Of the female American population, 56.8% are employed. Now, the reason that's significant when we're talking about this uh, is... (laughs) That means, and and you probably already know this, but most bosses are male. So most of the upper level management type positions in American work are men. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that if if we've got 46% of the American workforce that is female, then most women have had a job of some kind outside of their house. Mm -hmm. And likely their boss was a man. Right which means that they already know exactly what it means to be under someone's authority. They know that there was a way that they would talk to their boss 
and there was a way that they would not talk to their boss. Mm -hmm. They know that there were ways that they would suggest things and there are ways that they would not suggest things. Right. Uh, they know that there are lines that they would or would not cross in terms of the amount of respect and deference that they were or will not, were not willing to show mm -hmm. because they understood in that relational dynamic, this man has authority over me. Right. If I cross lines X, Y, or Z, I could not get a promotion, I could, you know, hamper myself in future opportunities, or I could lose my job. We're thinking important things happen here at work, so mm -hmm. I need to make sure that I respect the hierarchy. Right. And here's how that dovetails with the understanding of, of these things in our households. One of the primary reasons that we don't respect the hierarchy that God laid out for the family is because we don't believe anything important happens there. Oh, oh, wow, wow. That's why we're okay with hierarchies uh -huh. in all these other places, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. We understand that if the workplace is going to produce what it's supposed to produce and right. be efficient and function properly, there has to be a chain of command. It's absolute chaos right. if you don't have that. Right. If everybody's just got equal weight and authority and it's all of us just voting about everything and everybody's got an equal say and nobody's the boss of anybody else, <laughs> nothing, nothing gets, gets done. done. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so we're totally okay and comfortable mm. with exercises of authority in spaces where we think important things happen. Mm. Mm. We just don't believe that about the household anymore. Wow. Right? Wow. That's that's huge. Mm-hmm. And I think, I truly think that's what it comes down to. That's mm -hmm. the that's the issue behind the issue. Mm. Because n nobody gets pulled over by a police officer, you know, and says, where'd you get that authority? Right. I mean, you, why are you trying to flex on me? Right. So what if I was going 80 and a 35 and there was a kid walking out in the middle of the road and I was texting? Right. Like, I mean, what do you... What, no, we, we would think, no, that's that's an important use of authority right. that should be able to be exercised mm -hmm. because important things happen on streets where children are playing. Right. Right. But again, we've so lowered our view of the household mm -hmm. that God's saying that somebody should be in charge of it doesn't even make sense to us. Right. Because right. we don't think anything significant happens there. Well, that's interesting. And and so I'm just going to plug right in there. If you have not listened to the podcast on the, uh, the biblical importance of family, mm -hmm. we would encourage you to go get a a fuller explanation of that in case you're wondering like, what does that mean? Something really important is happening at home. This, I think that yep. would really give a great uh, explanation. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so, you know, the, the issue we'll, we'll put to, to the side, the issue of, you know, women in the workforce, if you want to make people really angry, we can have that conversation, biblical right. do's and don'ts regarding that right. at some other time. You've probably already talked about some of those things uh, <laughs> before. Uh, so putting that to the side, it's just to say that the, the raw statistical data tells us that American women in particular already know what submission to a man looks and mm -hmm. sounds like. Mm -hmm. And they know that that doesn't look like turning your brain off. That doesn't look like being a doormat. Right. That doesn't, because they most women don't feel that way in their jobs. Right. You know, they don't think that it's some assault on their personal worth that the person who happens to be over them in the company hierarchy is a man. You know, now, of course, there's a radical wave of feminism right. that actually does think that. Right, and they're right, like, right. Uh, the future is and female. And they're very loud about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if they're listening to your podcast, they're probably not that far down. <laughs> exactly. <okay? laughs> so we don't need to ad address that right. particular radical sect because right. your listeners probably already see what's wrong with that. <laughs> right. Uh, and so, again, all, all of that to say, uh, this isn't mysterious, you know. Um, don't talk to your husband in a way that you wouldn't talk to your boss. Exactly. Right. Just yeah. don't do that. Yeah. You know, um, you wouldn't turn your brain off in a professional environment with a male uh, 
who was your boss, right. uh, you, you would do your job. And the job of a wife is to be her husband's helper, mm-hmm. which is why if Daryl's getting ready to make a decision that you disagree with, you don't just passively say, oh, okay. If you disagree with it, you're going to try to help him. Right, right. right? And you're going to do it in a respectful way. Exactly. You know, how exactly. presentation is everything. <laughs> correct, correct. <laughs> so and correct. a lot of times, some of those things required prayer ahead of time before I would go talk to him because I, you know, I may have a feeling that the conversation wasn't going to go well, <laughs> you sure. know? So asking God to prepare his heart and to give me the right words and timing. Timing is everything. Mm-hmm. Timing is really everything. Yep. Like when he's exhausted after a long day, that's probably not the time Correct. to talk to him. You Correct. Know? Correct. So uh, yeah, yep. just bearing those things in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, that's intuitive mm-hmm. because if, if this was a, a some professional environment, mm-hmm. Uh, no woman is going to decide the best time for me to tell my boss I disagree with his decision is when we've got visitors in from corporate and he's really stressed out and we're behind on this and that. You know what? I'm going to go talk to him about this right now. He needs to know I disagree with him. She would know that intuitively. (laughs) But when it's her husband, all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it's like, whatever, we're equals or, you know, whatever, you know? (laughs) Uh, And so that's why I say it's just, it's just not that mysterious. Mm -hmm. It's just not that Mm -hmm. complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, just apply that that rule of thumb. Would I talk to anybody else who was in authority over me this way? Right. You could sub out boss. You know, if you haven't worked outside the home and you, you know, maybe maybe you don't have a framework for that. Mm-hmm. Um, when a police officer uh, pulls you over, how do you talk to him? Right. right. If the president's in the room, how do you address him? You know, like uh, you know instinctively and intuitively that you you know how to show respect. Right. And the Bible commands that a wife show that to her husband. And just as uncomplicated um, is the fact of our sinful nature, that, that this will rub us the wrong way. Correct. Much of the time, some of the time, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, yeah. It, just know that when you yeah. feel that, it's it's a good it's a good time to ask the Lord, you know, is is, is this just me and my sinful nature? And you right. and again, intuitively. A lot of times we know, we know, we just, yep. we just don't want to do the right thing. We don't want to submit. We don't want him to have the authority. And so Correct. Be, just being aware of that, I think is, is huge. Yeah. But pretending that that's not there is just unwise. Yes. And that is an incredibly wise thing that you just said, <laughs> because what, and this is something I've, I've been guilty of in past uh, preaching and teaching on this topic is I remember I would often use this topic uh, as an opportunity to berate men. And so mm-hmm. the the sermon on a wife's submission invariably turned into a sermon about how bad men suck because if you were a good leader she'd happily submit to you. Right. Right? But here's the assumption. The assumption behind that is uh, women are all innocent darlings who mm-hmm. don't have a sin nature. Right. And they certainly would never want to rebel against anything that God said. Right. <laughs> That's a huge assumption. <laughs> right. Exactly. A very wrong exactly. assumption. <laughs> and so I get like even the examples that I used, you know, um, mm-hmm. I could I could see a wife chafing against that right. in terms right. of don't compare my uh, husband to the president. Right. Well, maybe the current well, one. I was going to say, you might <laughs> want to reword that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Wow. Uh, but they may not like those comparisons. You know, yeah. they may say, um, I'm, I'm not married to that kind of man. Mm-hmm. He's not worthy of respect mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, But ultimately, that's where that first Peter text comes yeah, in. Yeah, and I think I want to speak to that real quickly because yeah. I think there's some some very simple things we can do to regain our respect for our husbands. And one of them is to remember. Remember, first of all, why you married him. There was something you saw in him sure. that you valued and that was good and likely is still there. Sure. Um, you know, sometimes our husbands are under a lot of stress. And so some of those things we initially saw sort of might seem like they've disappeared, but they haven't. And we can actually help bring them back to the surface. And one of the ways we can do that is is to just remember all the ways that he's blessed you through the years. And then, um, you know, write a letter of respect, the things that you actually respect about your husband. If you sit down and actually think it through, there are always things that you can respect about your husband. And you start there and it grows, you know? So you're basically just, you know, you're watering a seed. and, and, And once that starts to grow, it's so much easier to respond in a respectful way because you literally do respect the man. You know, the feelings right. come back because right. you realize, wow, this really is a great guy. I know sometimes I've been so mad at my husband. And, you know, in the moment you're you're just like, he hasn't done anything right ever. Is 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 your emotion. Those are your emotions. Sure. But then I would just stop and think the first thing that I would always picture is just all the diapers that he's changed, all the babies that he's held, all the times that he, you know, we I had eight C sections and he, I mean, the nurses weren't always there and he would clean me up and do, I mean, just all these yep. things that I just think, oh my goodness, wow. He was a servant. He yep. served me well. And those weren't the only times, but those are the times that always flash back in my memory just yep. because they were so meaningful. But, you know, it's just, it's it's so worth it to mm-hmm. make that investment and to just be going back that direction if you've gone, you know, a direction you don't want to go and you know yep. isn't biblical. Yep. Yeah. And so last thing I'd say, unless you have clarifying questions or, or things, to, uh, is to speak directly to that. Uh, what about the woman who, okay, she's hearing what, I'm, what I've said. She's, uh, okay, yeah, I don't take a strange reading of those passages. They mean what they say. Um, but what if my husband isn't respectable? What if he is, in fact, a bad leader? You know, mm-hmm, all of those sorts mm-hmm. of things. And the encouragement is First Peter 3, 1 through 2. Uh, mm-hmm. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. Mm-hmm. So it, Peter's just addressing, what yeah. if you have a horrible husband? Right. Like, what if you have a disobedient, ungodly husband? And he doesn't say, then you don't have to submit to him or respect him or mm-hmm. honor him. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, he says that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when mm-hmm. they see your respectful and pure conduct. Mm-hmm. The idea being uh, that you can, God has uniquely wired a woman to be able to get in touch with the heart of her husband mm-hmm. that nobody else has the power for. That's why she's his helper. Mm-hmm. She's his helper. Because she can, like you're talking about, she can pull things out of him that he doesn't have the capacity to generate on his own. Right. And you do that by being respectful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That you can call out of him the desire to be more than he is by interacting with him like he is already those things. Right. I I call that almost like an act of faith. 
Like yep. you're not seeing it, but you're believing that that's, that's who God has meant for him to be. Yep. And so you're speaking that and you're living as though that is true. It's being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you don't see. Exactly. And there's so many different ways that we can do that. You can send him texts throughout the day if he mm-hmm. leaves the home for uh, for work. Um, just thanking him for working so hard. Um, whatever little things you're seeing that he's doing that are, you know, meaningful, let him know that you appreciate those things. The other thing I really want to want to say before we close too is be careful how you speak about your husband, not only to other people, but to your children. Mm. So this is something, this is a gift you can give your husband is by always putting him uh, before the kids as, as respectable and honorable. Um, I remember uh, a while back, uh, my da- one daughter-in-law went over to my daughter's house um, who has four little kids and um, their dad was working a lot at the time. And they mentioned something about how much daddy was working. And um, my daughter-in-law said, um, oh, that, that, uh, what did she say? That must be really hard or that must make you sad or something like that. And they said, oh, no, no, he's working hard so that he can we can buy groceries and we can, and they went down the list of things yeah. that his working hard provided for them. Mm-hmm. And that's because their mom had spoken that to them and yep. they understood why he was happy. Because they would ask her like, why is he gone so much? Why does he have to work so much? And she would tell them that. So instead of complaining or, you know, like getting on this emotional bandwagon with your mm-hmm. kids about how terrible it is that dad works all the time, yep. instead you're speaking life about yep. your husband to your children. And yep. so I think that's just something I really want to, the moms to keep in mind. Excellent. So, yeah. Really good. Well, this, been, this has been great. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, and I'm just going to let you go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Father God, thanks so much uh, for this opportunity. Thanks for your word. Thanks for hopefully some clarity uh, about uh, this topic. We ask now that you'd send your Holy Spirit uh, to those who are are listening uh, and help to till up the ground in their hearts, help to quell emotions uh, and, and help them to have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word, that they may obey it and then taste and see the goodness of it. Mm-hmm. So frequently we hear a word, we chafe at it, we start to feel however we feel about it, and we we never get to the point where we taste it. We never get to the point where we simply obey you and therefore we cut ourselves off from the blessings. May not may that not be so mm-hmm. uh, with the ladies listening to this podcast. So we trust you with it and we know you'll do great things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.